Welcome to In Reality, the podcast about truth, disinformation, and the media. I'm Eric Scherenberg, a longtime journalist and media executive, most recently the CEO of Inc. and Fast Company. Today's guest is Claire Atkin, co-founder with Nandini Jami of Check My Ads Agency, a brand safety consultancy that takes aim at the purveyors of hate speech, conspiracy theories, and disinformation. Check My Ads is a David versus Goliath story, something all of us journalists love. Claire and her colleagues have effectively tightened the monetization pipeline for some of the most poisonous sources of disinformation of our disinformation-riddled age, including Breitbart and Russian propaganda sites. Today, Claire and I will talk about how the digital ad industry works to support disinformation and perpetuate ad fraud, despite its claims to the contrary. And how Check My Ads holds advertisers to account and who the company is targeting next. By the way, if you like what you hear, please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts, leave a rating, and if possible, a review. And please drop me an email at eric at ericsherenberg.com. I'd love your feedback and ideas about who we should talk to next. And now, here's Claire Atkin of Check My Ads. Claire, welcome to In Reality. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. That's great to have you on the show. Where are you calling in from? I'm from Vancouver, Canada today. Nice. Once again, Canadians are riding to the rescue of uh, the U.S. <laughs> and its troubles. The thesis behind your company, the company that you founded with uh, Nandini Jami called Check My Ads, is powerful and self-evident as a weapon against disinformation. The idea is that the best way to stop the spreaders of disinformation hate speech, conspiracy theories, rage baiting and all that is to choke off their source of funding. For many of them, that source of funding is advertising, right? And if you can prevent advertisers from appearing on a disinformation website or podcast or YouTube or whatever, you can make it much more difficult for them to stay in business. It's kind of a brilliant idea. How did you and Nandini come to it? Thanks so much for having me. We are the ad tech watchdog and our mission, as you said, is to dismantle the disinformation economy. So the way Nandini and I see this is that there are purveyors of disinformation on the internet who make millions every year with ads, money, and the data that the ad tech supply chain offers them, that basically the digital advertising industry offers them. And we came about this business uh, this nonprofit, because we realized that the industry at large had said that they don't want to fund disinformation. All the advertisers had said, you know, they've made it clear they don't want to fund bigotry and xenophobia and racism, and yet they are still doing it. So we realized that we needed to have a organization that would look on the inside and see what was going on and report out to the general public and also give everyone, the general public, a voice to pressure ad exchanges to uphold their own terms of service, their own publisher policies. So there's a lot to unpack there, but that's, that's the start of it. 
Okay, well, good. I uh, <laughs> I remember from uh, when I was at Inc. and Fast Company, advertisers were indeed really skittish about appearing next to content that was at all controversial. I remember we had to make good to an advertiser because we had put up a picture from the Vietnam War in some story about the history of a business, uh, and they didn't want to be next to any violent content. But since it is clear that companies like you know, Procter & Gamble or Fidelity or Geico or Toyota don't want to be next to hate speech or conspiracy theories, if you're not clear about how the digital ad market works, this is all very confusing. So we could probably use an explanation of, of how programmatic advertising works for those of listeners who are not uh, aware of it. Let's start, if you don't mind, sort of at the very moment that you as a viewer might be exposed to programmatic ads. Let's say that someone opens a page on Breitbart.com or, or Fox News or OAN. What happens? When I say disinformation economy, it's, it's common for someone to think, oh yeah, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And that's because Facebook will amplify disinformation all the time. But Facebook is not where propagandists and purveyors of disinformation make money. They make money when you click on that link to Breitbart or OANN or the Daily Wire, Daily Caller, and go to the website. And the website opens up and that website has a business relationship with the ad tech middlemen. So advertisers don't place ads themselves on the internet. They have companies that do that for them. And those companies are sort of chain or a, a series of Russian dolls, if you will, that end up using a process called real-time bidding to automatically bid on ad slots or ad space on these websites. And because it's automated and the advertiser only ever sees a, a higher level report, so that the total amount of impressions or views and click-throughs, then they don't realize that their ads are going to these places that people are clicking on inadvertently from Facebook. So that's how, when you, when you first go to one of these websites, when you first get sort of suckered in by the, the hate bait of the headline, that's how they make money. So you open the page uh, or, uh, you know, the, the link you clicked on opens a page on one of these sites and instantaneously bidding starts and the exchange takes the highest bid and puts the ad into that slot on that site. This kind of happens in, on internet time in a fraction of a second. It is quite quickly, although uh, we all know that ads slow down websites a little bit. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's quite quick and the advertiser can use technology that's called brand safety technology to uh, try to control in that automatic process whether the ad gets shown or not. But a lot of this technology just is not as smart as a human. It won't know when the content is white nationalist content or when it's news about a protest or a shooting or something like that. So right now we are at a terrible point where the brand safety companies are like, oh, don't worry, we've got this. But actually we're seeing that they are doing things like defunding the news instead of defunding the hate. Uh-huh. Um, tell me about what you mean by defunding the news. So news gets money the same way that disinformation gets money. Uh, mm -hmm. It's all through programmatic advertising on the internet. And that 
means that when advertisers are trying to stop funding hate and bigotry, but they're relying on computers and algorithms to do it, the computers and algorithms right now do not have the intelligence to be able to tell the difference. So they use things like keyword blocking. So if you wanted to stay away from hate, you might stay away from the word hate, the word shooting, the word uh, racism. But of course that is not how language works. And so what you end up doing is blocking real reportage on these issues instead of the incitement to violence. Okay. All right. Good. So yeah, a lot of the algorithms produce a lot of false positives and prevent advertisers from supporting news as well as from supporting disinformation. Now, the result of this behind the scenes mechanism means that you could be a brand and not know your ads are running on a site that you would never want to be caught dead on if you were buying the ads directly. So when you go to the brands um, and tell them where their ads are running, how do they react in general? We have had some funny reactions. People are generally appalled. Um, we had one VP of marketing last year say, oh my God, our ads are up the asshole of the internet. And <laughs> they just have no idea that they're funding some really awful, shocking content. And I mean, shocking. And so we know from our work and from our work as marketers before we started this, this organization that advertisers don't want to be anywhere near this. And because we know this, what that has allowed us to do is focus on the middlemen. And actually our work focuses and pressures the ad exchanges themselves to uphold their promises to the advertisers. The advertisers have said, don't, don't put our brand on unsafe content content that causes real world violence. And the ad exchanges have said in their policies, we will never put your ad on unsafe content, content that causes real world violence, content like election disinformation, content like COVID-19 disinformation. Well, then what are they doing working with the insurrectionists? What are they doing working with people who repeatedly said that the pandemic was a, was a hoax? And when we uncover that relationship between the ad exchanges and the publishers of disinformation, we find that that relationship is severed very quickly because this is a business problem. It's not just a society problem. Well, let's talk about the exchanges. They are uh, way behind the scenes. What are, who are they? Kind of how many are they? How big is the business? Kind of give us a picture of the exchange business. The exchange business is opaque and unbalanced. So Google, Google Ad Exchange has about 80% of the market share. And then you have a couple big DSPs, the demand side providers. Those are the ones that uh, bring advertisers to market to bid. And then you have a slew of what is called SSPs. And I mean hundreds. These are supply side providers. They're the companies that bring publishers or websites to the ad exchange market. And the ad exchanges themselves, they are just pieces of technology that fit within these two companies. So we're dealing with a sort of magpie's nest of companies. Of the DSPs, there's a handful of larger ones, but of the SSPs, there are so many. And then you have sort of a chain of smaller ones as well. They might have companies that bring like one or two publishers to market, one or two uh, websites. 
and then others that sort of bundle and rebundle. Um, Tim Wang has a really good book about this. It's called The Subprime Attention Crisis because it looks so much like the bundling that happened in the subprime mortgage crisis of 2008. Mm, mm, mm. That's really the kind of architecture that we are dealing with here. And it's why it's so obfuscated. I, it's a complex market, if you, as you've just explained, and, and lots of different players, highly fragmented, but it would seem that they're unified in wanting to avoid being next to controversial content, because that's, after all, what they are promising, and that's what the client, the end user client, the, the purchaser, the marketer, wants. Why don't they adhere to their own policies? I think that's the, the golden question. What are we dealing with here? Who are the people in charge of making these decisions? And at Check My Ads, we've learned that when we talk to the people who are ultimately making the decisions, they really don't know what they're dealing with. And I am sensitive to that. I am compassionate to the fact that, you know, they want to stop funding hate and bigotry, but they have a really hard time with anything that looks political, for instance. Mm -hmm. And then they start to sort of armchair philosophize about what's happening. And they forget that, this is a pragmatic problem. We're dealing with real world violence. We are trying to stop real world violence. If you are working with a website that has content on it that is whipping up false narratives around what gay people are trying to do to your children or what black people are trying to do with critical race theory or what immigrants are doing uh, at the border. I mean, it's fear mongering and it's scapegoating of minority groups. And they're trying to make people feel unsafe so that they can justify the removal of our human rights, the, the justification of oppression. That is what disinformation does as a tool. And so we need the ad industry to understand that a lot better because people either don't or they don't have the backbone to, uh, to say this is where we draw the line. Are, are we encountering a, a kind of world in which there are um, perverse incentives. You could do the right thing and prevent advertising to, from appearing on sites that promote that kind of harm, but then it would cost you revenue. Is that it? Or, or is it truly a kind of Frankenstein monster in which the ad exchanges don't quite understand the technology that they've created to marry advertisers with publishers? And to stay in business, they just have to sort of make it up as they go along. There is certainly a financial incentive to fund disinformation. I mean, we know that hate drives clicks. Mm -hmm. We know that fear drives clicks. Um, this, is, this is the problem of the internet, but they also have clients. And those clients, the people who are actually providing the money are the advertisers. And they have been crystal clear that they do not want to fund this stuff. So on the one hand, yeah, working with people who publish election disinformation every single day for a year and a half might be profitable, but the advertisers at some point are going to realize it and they don't have to be loud about it. They can just quietly take their business elsewhere. In the ad tech ecosystem, there is another intermediary, the third party watchdogs, um, ad verification companies like IAS and Double Verify. As I thought about what Check My Ads does, I thought, why are these companies that build themselves as watchdogs preventing advertising fraud, for example, and protecting marketers and publishers from that? Why are they not doing this work? 
I think that's a great question, Eric. We have pressured them time and again to, for instance, stop fear-mongering about being on the news. You know, when the pandemic started in March 2020, um, I know it started before then, but really when it started ramping up in America, advertisers experienced marketing from Integral Ad Science and Double Verify that said, don't advertise on bad or sad news. Advertise only on good, good news about the pandemic. The pandemic was thus a mass defunding event for the news. Now, we're not talking a few hundred dollars here and there. We're talking billions that have been blocked every year from content about protests, content about wage uh, disputes, content about any violence of any kind, any war of any kind, crime reporting, even Marilyn Stasio, even mm -hmm. the person who reviews crime novels for the New York Times was defunded to like something like 80 or 90% because of her content by these brand safety tech companies. These brand safety tech companies have said over and over again, we'll keep your brand safe. And what they've done instead is defund one of the bastions of democracy. They've done the exact opposite of what we need them to do. And they sort of whipped up this, this problem, this fake problem that you don't wanna be on, on the news to these advertisers so they could sell their shitty technology. And it's embarrassing what they've done. And I've, I've told them to their faces, you know, IAS pulled us into their boardroom at one point, their, their virtual boardroom. And I ended up talking to the executives there. And I told them, I think your business is, is predicated on false premise. And nobody cares if advertisers are funding the news. Nobody cares if they're next to violent content. They care a lot when they're funding white nationalism. That's fascinating. What was their reply to that? Uh, I mean, we all got off the phone pretty quick. I, uh, I have a story from my own experience at Ink and Fast Company with the brand safety organizations, and it was, uh, it was troubling. And Ink and Fast Company are certainly not spreaders of disinformation or hate speech or white nationalism, far from it. And nevertheless, they were flagged, probably for the reasons you mentioned, that uh, there was probably some discussion of things that are going on in the economy or the world at large that a brand safety, that a clumsy brand safety algorithm could not identify as anything other than harmful content. When we reach out to them to correct it, their only response is it would cost us tens of thousands of dollars to fix that technological oh, yes. flaw. So it was a bit of a, so in addition to being a false positive, it was a shakedown as well. Yeah, they're, they're a bit like the mafia. They have a lot of answering to do. And I think that the people who are trying to solve this problem or, or say that they're trying to solve this problem with technology um, have a lot of answering to do because we know that the technology doesn't work. We've written about it extensively at Branded, um, at Check My Ads, our newsletter is called Branded. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I would be terribly embarrassed to be associated with these companies. With um, the exchanges, with the brand safety companies who are there parallel, I guess you could say, in the, in the ecosystem, what are the mechanisms you have at Check My Ads to convince them to do the right thing? You can publish their names, you can shame them, you can come on their virtual board meetings and try to 
talk them out of it. <laughs> what else, what other weapons do you have in your quiver? The only weapon that we have is education. We are standing up and taking a lot of heat from people who support disinformation uh, because we know that if we do that and if we are clear and pragmatic and sensible, that others in the advertising industry will join us. And they have. We get people all the time emailing us or sending us messages on Signal or Twitter DMs saying, you know, thank you for what you do. I work at X company. You know, we're dealing with this on the inside as best we can, but I just want you to know I'm an ally. You know, if you need data, let me know, yada, yada. Sometimes we get really amazing whistleblowers. That's within the industry. Our mission also is to give consumers a voice because of course, consumers are the ones who are being advertised to. They're the ones who are ultimately footing the bill for disinformation. And we've had 50,000 people sign up for our uh, action emails since we launched our campaign to defund Fox News on July 9th. We have offered the names of the executives, their email addresses, and a template in these action emails to say, here's, here's what you can send to the ad exchange executives, the people who are, who are the middlemen of this technology who have promised in their terms of service that they only work with premium publishers and yet who are working with people who have actively lied over and over again and then promoted, defended, and, and continued the rhetoric around the big lie and the insurrection. And that's, I mean, we've, we've been working on this since January 5th, uh, 2022. We have gotten Steve Bannon defunded, Tim, Tim Poole, Glenn Beck, Charlie Kirk, who's a millennial white nationalist. He sent 80 buses to the insurrection full of people. Mm. Uh, Dan Bongino was a, still is sort of a Facebook top 10. His website doesn't have ads anymore because of our work. We're taking millions out of the disinformation economy, and that's how we do it. I followed the campaign against Fox News. There certainly is a David versus Goliath aspect to that, <laughs> the most watched network in cable television. And television at large, it sounds like the the real meat of that campaign is a consumer advocacy and a, you know a customer-driven you know, grassroots campaign. Is, is that fair? Or are you getting traction uh, along with the exchanges and other people who are sort of in the industry? It's a little bit of a mix. Fox News is, is really uncomfortable for people. I was talking to one of our old clients who are, they're like a Fortune 500 advertising company. And I warned them before with this campaign. I said, listen, I, I need your feedback on this campaign we're about to launch. And her reaction was like, oh God this is going to be a headache because they have brand safety guidelines and in their brand safety guidelines, they say no election disinformation. And it really, really sucks that Fox news is the biggest purveyor of the big lie. And it's really uncomfortable for all of us to have to give them the same accountability that we give all the other insurrectionists, because of course, like we can't just let it happen. We have to say something. And I think Fox News has gotten by on just being too big for us to hold them accountable. And that's because of their relationship with the cable companies. But this is different. This is ad tech. And ad tech is a weapon of propaganda. 
and it is a linchpin for Fox News. Ad tech provides three things to propaganda. The ads give legitimacy, and that is critical. The money, of course, sustains and grows their operation, but in the case of Fox News, it's not a huge percentage. I mean, it might be 5% of their total revenues, the digital economy. And then the data that they get from the ad tech system, from watching their website metrics track against their revenue, allows them to better and better target people who are susceptible to lies. And so what you're doing when you're cutting them off from this, from this industry is you are taking away this, this one tool in their arsenal, this one weapon that they have to wield against their viewers. And I think that is hopeful. I think that it's the one place where we can start to make our voices heard against Fox News in a way that will actually pain them. The other thing it's doing is, of course, making the ad exchanges famous. Famous? Uh, they've gotten by in relative obscurity, famous relative to the way that they have been. I mean. Mm-hmm they have made an incredible amount of money on the disinformation economy, an incredible amount of money. And once people know who they are and what they do, maybe they'll feel more of a moral imperative to do better business with their clients. Dragging them into the sunlight. That's right. Let's go back to that Fortune 500 marketer who was so conflicted when you confronted her about the Fox News campaign. Was it just that Fox News is so large and provides such a you know, reservoir of eyeballs for her products that she hates to give up that audience, even though she knows that it violates her company's own uh, brand safety guidelines? What she said to me was, oh, God, we are so tired. She said, we are dealing with mass shootings. We are at war. We are dealing with... She said the restriction of of reproductive rights. We are dealing with, you know, she had a whole list of things. At one point, she's like shooting after shooting after shooting. This is right right after after one of them. It's alarming that we can't even remember which one. Yeah, I think it was Buffalo. Uh So, and Buffalo was, you know, white nationalism. And Tucker Carlson the next day was justifying white nationalism. And... She knows that the issues, the the public relations issues that she is having to respond to as a representative of this Fortune 500 company are being caused by the people who are fear-mongering, the people who are scapegoating, the people who are spreading violence and hate in their rhetoric, in their propaganda. She knows that. And yet she knows that in order to cut them off, she has to be incredibly diplomatic internally about the fact that this is not a left versus right conversation anymore. We're talking about extremism. And that's not an easy conversation to have in the boardroom. Not when you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of of employees. Mm -hmm. Um, The bad faith arguments start to come up very quickly. So as she knows, they're having that conversation. And she said to me, we need you to be loud. We need you to get loud so that I can justify bringing this up, so that I can justify making this change. There has to be good, a good sort of fire for that to happen. Interesting. Is there any effort on Check My Ads' part to monitor left-wing extremism? Well, we've looked for it. The biggest left-wing extremism is, of course, from Russia, and that sort of anti-neoliberal, anti-Americanism, and it's disinformation. 
we don't see a lot of disinformation coming out of places that are trying to fight for democracy or journalistic standards. At this point, we're not talking about left versus right. We're talking about democracy and centrism versus extremism. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're here to fight. We're fighting the rise of global authoritarianism and, and domestic propaganda and, and international propaganda directed directly at American democracy. Claire, them's fighting words, but you're right. The stakes are extremely high. Do you feel optimistic about the future? I feel neutral. I know that this is a hard battle. Um, I do it because I don't believe I could know what I know and not do it. And Nandini and I don't know whether to feel optimistic in the face of these alarming global forces. I mean, we, the global trend is not good. So I believe that we have a real problem on our hands and that we as marketers have the imperative to do what we can because we as marketers make or break our media landscape. And we're talking about who gets funded, who gets money. And the people who, who get our money should be the people who are there upholding at least community safety, at least. Yes. And they should be the people that we want to get our money and not the people that we would not be caught dead with. I think that if advertisers took back control of their own campaigns, that is what would happen. Let's leave it then on a note of possible optimism that at least we're dealing with, uh, on the advertising side, people whose hearts are in the right place, but whose technology perhaps is not caught up. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Claire. It's been wonderful talking to you. Great conversation. You've been listening to In Reality, the podcast about truth, disinformation, and the media. I'm Eric Schoenberg. Thanks for listening. If you too care about the assault on truth in the digital era, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave a review. One more note. This podcast was made possible by the terrific production team at Podcast Partners. Special thanks to my producers, Amelia Spooner and Paula Robel. If you like how it sounded, learn more at podcastpartners.com. Thank you.